Going back to our first reading, The Deluge. So this is the second part of that story of, of Noah and the Ark. First part of that story is Noah the Ark, is that the, that the people of the world had grown in wickedness to a point of no return. So God decides he's going to flood the world and kill everyone except for Noah and, the, and the, his wife and children and their sons and their wives. The eight people which St. Paul references in the New Testament, Jesus too will reference Noah and his Ark which I bring up to say it was for real. There are lots of people who say, oh no, the world was never flooded. No, God doesn't lie. There's the whole story in the Old Testament. It's brought up multiple times in the New Testament. It happened. God flooded the world and killed everyone but for eight people. The story that we have today in this this part from Genesis of Noah is after it's all over. So, you know, Noah built the God told Noah to build the ark. Something big is going to come. Noah fits and starts, builds the ark. He's got all these people causing trouble for him. And then uh, then collects the animals. The rains come. The flood. He's out on the ocean for 40 days. The bird and the olive branch. And finally, the ark hits land and lands. This is where the story picks up. The story picks up with the covenant that God makes with Noah. <clears throat> The rainbow. And so the rainbow will last until the end of the world. And the rainbow comes from this Noah and the flood. All right, so remember that the rainbow did not exist until the flood with Noah. It might have even been possible that rain didn't exist, but that people got their water from streams and lakes, etc. But needless to say, God creates the rainbow as a covenant that he would never destroy the human race again. All right. Doesn't mean that a lot of people can't die, but that he won't ever wipe out the human race again. I'll get back to covenant. It's important. What would we do if we lived in the time of Noah and we knew what was coming? We knew that rains are going to come and the world's going to be flooded and everyone's going to die except for the people who can get on that boat. Well, you try to get a ticket to get on that boat. Say, Noah, what does it take for me to get on the boat? What if we couldn't get on the boat? Noah goes, sorry, there's only room for eight people and a thousand animals, and, and you don't fit. You're not getting on the boat. Well, then what do we do if we can't get on the boat? And the answer to both questions is the same. Repent. Repent. Jesus will bring this up in our gospel today. We have to repent in the face of death, in the face of, I'm going to stand before God. That's what we have to do. In fact, it's what we have to do if we're going to have a relationship in this life with God. We have to repent of our sins because they're getting in the way between us and a relationship with God. In addition to causing lots of problems in our lives and through us lots of problems in the lives of other people. But it's preventing a relationship with God and ultimately could prevent eternal life in heaven. Jesus is preparing himself for his public ministry. He goes into the wilderness for 40 days. And in Mark's gospel, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke each speak about this when Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days before he launches his public ministry. Mark, it's like two sentences. It just says Jesus went into the desert into the wilderness where he's tempted by Satan for 40 days. End of story. Which, in a way, is kind of a little creepier than Matthew and Luke. At least they kind of spell out what's happening there. 
but it leaves the mind to imagine all kinds of things. Well, what's happening to him? But he does this because he's preparing himself. Does he need to be purified? Well, he's God and he's sinless. No, he doesn't need to be purified. But there's still something, there's something compelling him to do this. And I would say he's orienting himself. So he was raised in anonymity, in hiddenness from birth until now. He just got baptized by John the Baptist. Oh no, he hasn't done that yet. He's gone, no, he's got baptized, went in the wilderness, then he does his thing. So, but he's preparing now to launch his public ministry. So he's, he's going into this place of focus and then also offering. So if I'm going to convert you, I have to, <clears throat> I have to offer something to God. And it's not going to feel good. I've got to sacrifice for you in a way that brings discomfort and suffering to me to bring about your conversion. Same thing for parents and their children. If you want children to be good people, then as parents, you're going to have to sacrifice and suffer to see that happen. It's not a freebie. So Jesus is going into the wilderness. He's preparing himself. There's something happening here in the wilderness. The devil is doing his best to derail him. doesn't work comes out of the wilderness, and this is what Jesus says in our gospel today. He says, this is the time of fulfillment. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe, meaning live the gospel. So he tells us what's happening. The time of fulfillment in the kingdom of God is at hand. And then he tells us what to do. Repent and live the gospel. This is where it begins. It all begins with repentance. So, we see this again in the Acts of the Apostles, Peter and John, after the resurrection of Jesus, and he's ascended now into heaven after the ascension. Peter and John go into the streets of Jerusalem, and they start preaching that you, people of Jerusalem, crucified your Messiah. And they tell him, repent. And they do. 3,000 people repent in one day and become believers in Jesus. In St. Paul's letters, he writes 13 of them. The first one is Romans. He begins with repent, repent. St. Peter will write 1, 2, and 3 Peter, or 1 and 2 Peter. And in his letters, again, the first one, repent at the beginning of this. It's where it all begins, is this repentance of our sins. This is the ticket that gets us on the boat using a, a, a means of transportation that's more common for us today, this is the ticket that gets us on the airline to heaven, is repentance. And there's no other way to get on the plane. There's no other way. Covenant. Getting back to that rainbow and the covenant that God had made with Noah and the human race. I will not destroy the human race again. Covenant in the words, the the word covenant that we have in the Bible comes from the Hebrew word, and I don't remember what that word is. But in the Hebrew, it literally comes from the mingling of blood. So that's what they meant when they said covenant. So when God makes a covenant with Abraham, there has to be blood somehow. So Abraham's going to sacrifice his son Isaac. God the Father will sacrifice his son Jesus. There has to be a spilling of blood in a way that mingles with the offering. And then once that happens, you can't unmingle it. Native Americans would have blood brothers. And how that works is 
you would have, I don't know, two competing tribes kind of thing, and then they would come into some kind of a pact where they won't kill each other anymore, or that maybe the chief's son would marry the other chief's daughter and they would unite the tribes. And in that ceremony, the chiefs would slit the palms of their hands and then shake so both of their slit palms are united and then a rope would be tied around them to mingle the blood. Now they're brothers. They can't kill each other anymore. They have to, their tribes are united now. Same concept that the Hebrews have of covenant that we see in the Bible. That somehow something's happened that can't be undone and it constitutes an everlasting relationship. So think of it like this. When God speaks of marriage in the Bible, it's an unbreakable bond. Jesus says to the people, he says, a man shall not divorce his wife, and if he does, he commits adultery. A man is not to look upon another woman without committing adultery. If a divorced woman marries another man, she commits adultery. And Jesus goes on to explain, from the beginning, God meant it as Adam and Eve that there would be this uniting of two persons for life. God says nothing about happiness in marriage, fulfillment and, you know, are they meeting my needs or no. This is an irrevocable covenant to the end of your life on earth. If it doesn't work out, you can, you can separate, but you can't remarry. That's your one and only shot. Same concept with God and us. He's entered into a covenant through baptism with us. And in there, in there, he will never forsake us. Tragically, we forsake him all the time through our sins. Constantly forsaking him through our sins, our own selfishness, our own willfulness, etc. But it doesn't mean that he divorces us and goes away, never to return. He just patiently waits, hands outstretched. Will you come back? In order to do that, we have to repent. And yet so few do. So few do. Goes into what's going on psychologically around repentance. There's a vulnerability there in telling somebody that we were wrong and asking for their forgiveness. There is. But we need to do that. We need to do that in our relationships with people on earth, and our family, co-workers, etc., where we did someone wrong. And we need to do that with God, too. Repentance is so important to God that God sacramentalized it, turned it into a sacrament. We call it confession. It's technically called penance, the sacrament of penance. But in lay terms, confession. And we've got this great gift that Protestant Christians don't have, and atheists don't have, and Muslims don't have, and we do, and the vast majority of Catholics don't take advantage of it. Tragically, I'm finding that bishops and priests are largely silent on it, which is really sad, which is really sad. But that sacrament of confession is this repentance that's the ticket to the plane that takes you home to safety. It doesn't mean that life is automatically changed and turned around and da-da-da. But it means for the time being I hold a ticket until I blow it with my other sins. But then it's okay. The ticket stand is right there. It's called a confessional. And we go to it. 
Jesus wants everyone home to heaven. He doesn't want to see any of us perish. He wants the whole world to be the inverse of what happened at the time of Noah. He wants everyone saved. But we have to work with them. We have to repent. We have to acknowledge that we're sinners and only by the grace of God do we have any chance of salvation. So let's take up the grace of God and repent and repent of our sins and to do that with frequency, to do that with frequency and to be saved and to be saved.